Welcome to Misunderstandings of the Mind podcast, the space where we explore common misunderstandings of how life works, allowing us to gain new perspectives on health, wealth, relationships, and much more. Life doesn't have to be hard work. It can be a flowing collection of experiences if we learn some simple truths about how our experience is created. Through this understanding, we realize that at a fundamental level, we are all already whole and perfect. Hi, June. Welcome to Misunderstandings of the Mind podcast. Great to be with you today. Hey, Jason. Good to be with you. And, uh, yeah, I've been wanting to do this episode for a few weeks. You know, it's kind of like, and uh, it seemed like it was not going to happen for a while, but I'm glad that we finally got here. And uh, talking about trauma, you know, I, I think, like, I'm just going to start off a little bit. Like, on my own, I can only talk about my own kind of journey. What I saw was that after years of suffering, like trauma, psychological suffering, separation and um, pathologies. And in the typical psychiatric psychological system, you know, I had this experience where um, I saw myself, I had a non-dual experience, you know, I saw myself, I saw the creation of life happening within me, you know, it's like not outside of me. It was like a an experience that just made me double take quickly everything, you know, it's kind of like, and I started questioning my whole reality from there, you know, like going shit, what about, I, I describe it like dominoes falling everywhere I looked, I could see it, you know, I could see that my whole life, I'd been suffering on behalf of this separate me that didn't even exist apart from as a figment of my own imagination. And, um, and at that point, I really thought that spiritual pursuits just became like another object for me, you know, like another thing to pursue, because it seemed like if I could really just understand this, then I would be, you know, it seems crazy thinking about it, but it seems like I would be blissful, I wouldn't even have emotional experience, you know, and I remember someone saying to me one day, well, you don't want to be emotionless, do you? And I thought, oh, shit, yeah, I really kind of somehow thought that if I could just understand this, that everything was happening in awareness, or that all reality was made out of thought and perception, if I could just really understand that, that then I would be free, you know, and I then had another realization that I turned this spiritual pursuit into another object to get to make me okay. And um, and then don't you think in a way, don't you think that you have this, this uh, view, like this real view, and you're trying to make that present 24 seven, sort of, like, you know, in other words, you have this awareness, it's an undeniable recognition, but then the next day or maybe a month or two later, you wake up and it's not a constant. So it's, to me, it seems like the spiritual pursuit sometimes can be about making that a 24 seven reality. Mm. Yeah, that's what I tried to do. I want, I, I, I want to finish quickly on this bit. I don't want to let you share from your perspective, because I know we both kind of ended up in a similar place, but we came about it in different ways, you know? Yes. And um, so for me, I, I started to realize the body, you know, I want to talk a, a little bit about that. I started to realize that I was having these 
I think I, I think you like the term that I use. I came up with unrequested responses of the body. You know, it's kind of like to life, to stimulus. You know, it's like I started finding myself tightening and tension and twisting and contracting in response to my girlfriend. You know, it's kind of like in life and things. And I was like, shit, what is this? You know, it's like, what's going on here? And, uh, um, and upon willingness to investigate that, I started seeing that, you know, I had this stuff, these responses held in my body that just kind of showed up from time to time in form of contraction or tension or lump in my throat or tightness in my stomach, you know, it's like or restlessness in my legs, you know, and that's when I started to really look at the trauma, the body, you know, the connection that spirit, you couldn't spiritualize away your experience, you couldn't use the non dual um, understanding to free yourself from all suffering. Like we're saying, we're saying that, the body. You noticed that, okay? So this is happening. Yeah. So this you is had you yeah. had this shift, but yet the body didn't shift with. Yeah. It's almost like it wasn't a, yeah. the body didn't awaken. Yeah, exactly that. It didn't awaken, and I was left with these contractions and tensions and emotional responses and tightness that. Uh, people in the spiritual community were telling me weren't real. I was creating them and that they were a creation of my mind. And that if I just got enough understanding of awareness that I would be free of it, you know, but it just didn't look true to me. And that's where I started doing the body-based somatic investigations and realized kind of what was going on. So uh, that was my kind of introduction to where I am now. You know, I'd love to, and I think yours, I know you had some kind of non-dual uh, experience and some explorations and stuff, but like we've talked about how you can arrive at a place of true nature. You can kind of re realize and experience rest in your true nature from somatic exploration, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be an awakening of the mind, but I've never experienced that. So I'm curious how okay. you see that, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so my path was different from yours, it was it was opposite because I was pursuing the psychological and, uh, part of my path first, and there were it might be because of my temperament, you know, I'm ENFJ on the Myers Briggs, so I'm into the psychological realm um, more than the philosophical realm, maybe. You know, mm -hmm. when I finally did get into uh, Advaita Vedanta studies and practices, mm -hmm. it was fascinating. And I love I loved uh, the studying of that. But the philosophical, spiritual studies did not I didn't resonate as well with those as I do like the psychological. So but, you know, if you think about it, you think about all the different types of yoga, right? Bhakti, jnana, raja, karma. So each person is so different. So a person that's a highly intellectual person. Mm. Uh, so the idea is through jnana yoga, you're going to get to God through the intellect. Mm. And through bhakti yoga, you're going to get to God through the heart, through devotion and all of that. And I think there's a, you know, each one Raja yoga is the scientific method. You, you know, you study Patanjali yoga sutras, you do personal codes of conduct, social codes of conduct, you do all the practices and you see what happens. And so I practiced all the different types of yoga 
through the heart, through the mental, through scientific practices and all of that. But I think ultimately my passion is in the emotions of being a human being. Mm. And I had an idea that um, you could awaken through that path of like honoring the human emotional side of life. And that, and as far as like kill the ego, right? That's one of the, if, you know, in non-dual teachings and a lot of spiritual teachings where, oh, you're, that's not real. That's not really that, that stuff that's happening to you. You're just making that up. Mm. Um, you often to hear, you know, kill the ego. We need to kill the ego. We need to get rid of the ego and all of that. And I had the idea that, a fully developed ego will naturally surrender itself. Mm. And I feel like that's what I've experienced, that the ego, which is what all of our programming, all of our, the unrequested responses or coming from that person that that's not you, you know, mm. but yet, we could call that as ego, right? Well, that ego or those parts of us will surrender themselves naturally if they are understood and allowed to develop rather than being, you know, a lot of times we'll avoid them. We're trying to ignore them. We're trying to kill them. We're trying to just get rid of that in a, a, whichever way we can. And it seems to me that giving these programs and these parts of us attention, uh, really understanding what they're doing, when, when, when did they originate? What were they originally trying to help with? And I can see within a one hour session when I'm working with someone and we're able to honor a particular part of them. And that part is like finally feeling um, understood, like maybe for the first time. And by the end of the session, that part will just really relax, you know. And so I see it as a practice to just keep doing that, keep honoring these parts that are coming in anyway. They're coming in anyway. And they're as a result, there are unrequested responses happening because they're coming in and running the show anyway. And so honoring them is where it's at for me that's how I see it like I, I've worked with a bunch of people and it, everybody doesn't resonate with this right so um this is this is a particular path that certain people will resonate with and it will work for them you know maybe not everybody yeah I think that's a great thing to kind of understand and dig into like because what I here what i what you're talking about is like that they're running the show anyway so like yes. can you talk a bit from your perspective like what those parts are the development of those in childhood and like how they they're running the show what do you experience you know it's kind of like yes, um, yes. And, and making friends with them sounds like a completely different to most people's approach of just getting rid of them you know it's beautiful because the part won't when you you know when you're resting in awareness so I agree with you that when we start doing work, we start doing trauma work and looking at these, these mechanisms that have taken over and are running our lives, 
Um, we need to be grounded in awareness. There needs to be a certain amount of spaciousness and awareness present for us to be able to do that. So I definitely see it that way as well. And then as we're resting in awareness and we're identifying a particular, whether it be a program or a coping strategy or a part, uh, looking for lots of different things. But as soon as, you know, the client is, comfortable enough and we're, we have enough awareness and we're able to, to notice, it will just show itself. It, I can ask it to show itself. It will step up. And then I can, I, because I do actually have authentic curiosity, I really am very curious when I'm working with people. Like I'm curious to know mm. uh, when this part originated. And so I start asking it questions and they that part or that mechanism will talk. It will start talking like it is glad to be because I'll ask a client. So so what's happening now? And they'll say, yeah, that part is just so thankful and grateful that we are taking some time to actually get to know it. Mm. You know what it's exactly been helping with. And it will show the client, it will bring up pictures. I can say, so yeah, it seems like around that time is when you originate. And it was usually during a trauma, during a specific event, a traumatic event or a period of life that was traumatic. Mm -hmm. So these mechanisms and parts, they come in right then to protect that younger vulnerable self. And even though we're an adult and you know we don't need that programming anymore, it's still automatically coming up. And it's coming up to protect that vulnerable part of ourself that was there at the origin of this, this program. Mm. So the program starts getting um, appreciated and like, wow, you know, what all have you really been helping this person with? And the more space that you give and the more it will just start telling you everything it's been mm. trying to help with. And then it starts feeling appreciated, you know, instead of, oh, they hate me and they're trying to get rid of me and ignore me. And, you know, I'm hated and despised and I'm misunderstood and I'm, I've only been trying to help and I'm not being um, respected or appreciated at all. That's how the programming feels. Yeah. So you're, you're talking about dialoguing with with a contract something that starts as a contraction of the body or a tension or a resistance or something like that right you can talk to anything you can talk to a contraction in the body you can talk to a memory you can talk to a story a coping like even black and white thinking like you know a client i might notice that black and white thinking is is happening and so i might say wow okay so it seems like there's a a strategy that's that's coming up right now about everything has to either be black or white. And yeah. so if the client goes, yes, yes, then I might go, let's put, let's make some space. And can we kind of talk to that, that mechanism itself? Um, I'm okay. I'll try to talk to anything, any, mm -hmm. any kind of thing, a, a contraction, a pain, a memory, a thought, a story, a belief, uh, some kind of cultural indoctrination, um, 
almost anything you can dialogue with it. Yeah. Because in other words, you know, from the idea of non-dual perspective, they're saying this isn't really real, right? Yeah. This isn't really real. This, this coping strategy is something you're making up or this part of you that needs to be in control or needs to please everybody or needs to make sure there's peace, peacekeeper, you know, all of these roles that we play. So then we become identified like I am the peacekeeper. I'm the peacekeeper for the family. I'm the peacekeeper in my job. That's who I am. So yeah, the non-duality is right. That's not who I am. Mm. But that is a real, it has a whole personality. And it wants to be appreciated. And it's really, as soon as these parts of us are appreciated for what they've been trying to help with, they will relax. Yeah, I guess what I, I, I it sounds like you're talking about the way I describe is the difference between the absolute conversation, non-dual conversation and the relative experience of living relative to the body. You know, I, I, what, what, like, What's what? How would you say like these things come about? You know, like how do you see that uh, coping mechanisms, contractions, tensions become coping mechanisms? There, you just see them as a, a normal, what I call normal human response to adversity. Is that how yes. you see it? I see them as being. Um, I see all of these programs and coping strategies and parts to be here to help. And there's two main categories that I can see. One category is helping get needs met, you know, mm -hmm. helping to be loved, helping to be appreciated, helping us to get what we need uh, to survive and all of that. And then I see the other half is protecting us from any kind of potential pain, any kind of perspective, potential pain um, of any kind. Um, yeah. And so, when what happens so if you approach non-dual awakening from this this side what what we're doing is going up oh, i'm identified with my programming right now it's kicking up i'm having an unrequested response right now so let me be with that okay yeah that's my controller my controller thank you i know all about you so we now have a relationship with our strategies mm. we we know each other we we've got we can dialogue with each other at any time and so i can stop in the moment and i can honor that part of me that's coming up for some reason either i've been triggered or something and then i know when it originated and so i can simply rest with the vulnerable self that was present during the origin of the programming mm. and check on her and literally collapse into a non-dual state. It sounds like there's a very mindful part of that somatic exploration, because when you're lost in the story of the separate self, the resistance or the what we called uh, non-requested responses are hated upon, right? I mean, that's part of the story, right? And it sounds like there's a very mindful part of your somatic investigation that relaxes that um, pressure, you know, of, of being a separate self with all these flaws to seeing 
the perfection of the design, right? That actually those yes. things came in service of safety and, and they've been there all along, like supporting you. Definitely. That's it. That's it. And that becomes a, pra that's a practice at first. And then it becomes a practice, you know, it starts off as, as a practice that has to be consciously engaged in. And then eventually it becomes a practice that is just running automatically. You know, which is something I also, when I did all these non-dual practices, I, I did for eight years, I spent 20 hours a week doing spiritual practices like chanting, uh, meditating, singing, dancing, doing service work at the temple, just a lot of spiritual practices for, for eight years. And then all of a sudden it was like, I don't really need to do this anymore because what happened was there was a point when I was either working, I'm at work, I'm with a client, I'm working or I'm doing a spiritual practice. You know, it was everything was either I'm doing this or I'm doing a spiritual practice and all of that collapsed and it became whatever I do is a spiritual practice. It just, you know, there was no difference anymore. It, it became part of just what I'm doing all the time. And yeah. so I quit doing spiritual practices and I, you know, had a business and I, my business became my spiritual practice and it was great. And so, you know, with this as well, with this somatic, with this honoring of our programming, you said it beautifully, you know, that becomes a natural way of life eventually. And then it's not that we don't ever get triggered. Yes, I get triggered, but yet it's pretty, pretty easy to, just honor and acknowledge what's happening. And then it collapses into a non-dual. This is a way to get to a non-dual place without practicing spiritual practices, just going right into do, you know, awaken through the actual body and the person and what's happening now, just continue to awaken right here, let the body awake and let the ego surrender itself. Let everything collapse naturally like it will do. Yeah. It's because um, it's all focused on the present moment experience, right? So it's like, yes. and, and that is what we're trying to get to in spiritual practice, experiencing the present moment, you know, but there's a, there is a, you know, it's certainly like, I can only talk about my own experience and like in my awakening moments, a lot of, shit relaxed a lot of shit disappeared like the intensity of the suffering like when i mean so much so went away for me when i had my spiritual experience like i mean i had had an eating disorder for 40 years it never came back after that moment you know it's like i had been in had psychiatric care for that long that I never needed that again i'd been in 12 steps for 22 years and i never went again it's kind of like it all freed me of all those things and it wasn't it was perhaps gave me a couple of years of complete respite for most things, you know, like thinking, this is it. I finally found it until those unrequested until love showed up in my life. Cause I'd been in loveless relationships. Right. And life has this way of giving us something that's going to really show us those deep wounds, you know? So love showed up in my life by way of a relationship. Uh, and, and, and by love, I mean, 
I'd been in relationships, but there was absolutely zero connection until my present relationship where there was a lot of deep intimacy and connection. And within that came all my insecurities and all my fears and all my abandonment stuff. Like, and that showed up via way of the body. You know, it's like, so I started like, oh, I was constantly twisting and contracting and turning and having all these experiences. So it was like the, the, the awakening experience freed me of a lot of stuff. You know, it's like, and stop me from going down rabbit holes, but allowed me from my perspective, just to have that freedom to investigate the body without a story, without it being another rabbit hole or another flaw in my character, you know, and, and see, but I can see it from both, both perspectives, you know, that you can experience the present moment via making friends with those coping mechanisms and coming to terms with the present moment experience, what it is. But also the other way around too, you know, it's kind of, it looks like, you, and, and I'm very much of the belief that there's no right way these days, you know, whatever makes sense to you, everyone's doing it their own way, right? Yes, I definitely agree with that. And that's one of the things I do is help people um, understand what is the best route for you to, to use right now on your path, you know, yeah. because we're all so different. Um, but yeah, so one of the things that I was thinking about when you said what you said about love and that is grief. So grief is such an important part of being a human being. And sometimes because we are talking about spiritual pursuits, we can acknowledge that sometimes spiritual pursuits or about bypassing human emotions and experiences. And grief is one of the uh, human experiences that um, people really do try to avoid if possible, you know, and, and that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of clients that just, uh, you know, one client recently said, I don't know. I don't know. I can't think of any reason why any human being would be wanting to feel grief. Mm. So I was like, yeah, that's really powerful. Let's be with that. We're going to really honor that for a while. And, you know, what came from that, that day was what I realized and it's happened within my own life and, and other people that I know is we really have to be willing to experience grief at its full, at its ultimate, you know, painful conclusion in order to experience love and especially unconditional love. Like, so the, your ability to experience grief in its, you know, to where you are just, at the bottom of your personal experience, your willingness to do that is in direct proportion to your ability to experience unconditional love. That's just something that I've noticed. Yeah, it makes sense. There's a direct, it looks like there's a direct connection between closing, experiencing grief and closing down to love, you know, because it really yes. is that, right? It's kind of like it feels... Well, because, uh, yeah, the grief is too painful. Yeah. I don't want to feel it. Mm. And so I'm just going to, yeah, that's, and that's a, nat that's a natural reaction, obviously. The body and, 
the psyche is trying to avoid pain. So I'm not going to love, I'm not going to love. Yeah. It's that happens, but yet I want to feel this grief. Um, okay. I want to feel this grief. No. Well, first we want to honor the no. We want to really honor the no. Thank you for coming up because you're trying to protect me from this pain. But eventually again, that will collapse. And I want to feel this will become true and it will flood us and we will be completely rested in grief and then the grief will just collapse into a non-dual again like mm. you know the things that we're avoiding if we'll just allow it it's gonna open up to a non-dual place that's my experience yeah like with my grief I, I feel I feel I welcome it, you know, I feel it's like love, it doesn't feel any different, you know, it's like being witnessed to grieve, being seen, you know, being present in my pain is actually feels like a nice experience, you know, yes. it's like to be witnessed in that, it's nothing that I want to, in fact, I, I, I feel it a privilege when I'm with somebody that I'm able to have that experience, you know, it's like, because otherwise, where am I apart from that, it's squashed down somewhere inside of me being avoided. Yes. That's beautiful. It's, I think that people, it, you know, might help a few people if they hear this, you know, it is beautiful. It feels beautiful. You know, mm. I, I could understand somebody, you know, I understand, no, grief is not beautiful. I don't want it. I want to avoid it at all costs. But the truth of the matter is it does feel very good to allow it. Mm. Yeah. You know, in other words, emotions are no longer being the body does it automatically. The programming comes in, but then resting in awareness. And then I remember I personally am not avoiding any emotion. I don't need to decide that certain emotions are OK and some are not like I just have to remind myself, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm willing to experience any emotion. I don't need to label them as being desirable or undesirable. I don't need to, you know, try to avoid some of them, even though my programming is automatically doing that. Mm. If I just breathe into it and remind myself, I'm a person who is willing to experience all of my emotions. So I want to feel this. Well, there's nothing that the, the programming is trying to protect me from that. So it has to just dissolve when I'm doing that. Anytime I'm doing that, I'm like, oh, you're trying to help me so that I don't feel this anger or this this pain. I've been hurt and my programming is coming up to protect me from feeling hurt. Thank you. Thank you for trying to protect me, you know, sit with that for a moment and then say, yeah, I want to, though, I want to feel it. It just opens up right into just this beautiful, beautiful opening. But, you know, that's me. I'm, I'm you know, I am an emotional person. I'm, I, I would say I'm an emotional person, even though I'm very logical and rational and, uh, you know, conduct my life in a very logical, rational way. But in the deepest part of me, I want to be able to feel and experience everything. 
Mm. And that's what awakening is, is the ability to feel and experience everything. And in the moment, in the moment, I think what you said a while ago in the moment is so important. Like I was talking to two friends last night, we were together and we were talking about doing something kind of exciting together. And we were kind of like, oh, a little hesitant about it. Like, should we or should we like, oh, it seems exciting, but it's kind of scary. And, you know, we were talking about it, talking about it. And then, you know, one of them said something like, well, I mean, I can't make any promises or whatever. And I was like, yeah, it's all in the moment. I'm never going to be, I just try not to ever say that I'm definitely going to do something or not. Like I, I just need to know right now, right now, how do I feel right in this moment? Hmm. Is it a yes or a no? I can trust myself is important i can trust myself in the moment to decide yes or no or do i need to do something here do i need to step back do i need to be in control or do i need to acquiesce like balancing you know and don't you think that when you had the awakening you felt very balanced for a while like you said those two Uh, years very balanced yeah um it certainly felt like that, you know, it's like, in fact, when you're, I definitely noticed this recently that when you're in that more lighter place, you know, like life feels lighter, right? It's kind of like you, you can really, once you've started to see this different, different experience of heaviness and how everything looks dark and lightness, how everything looks bright, you know, it's kind of like, yes. you can kind of see that um, distinction, that difference and, and, and make it a, um, an alarm clock to see what's really going on inside you, you know, because if everything starts to look grim all of a sudden, you know, it's kind of like it's a good indicator for me that I'm that I'm somewhere stuck in some sort of darkness. Even sometimes it's been so habitual for me that I don't even, I'm not even aware of that at times. I really need an indicator sometimes, you know, it's like yes. notice how heavy I'm feeling or something like that. Yes, yes. I've been recently dealing with grief over a change that I've experienced in my life. And it was a three year period of life that's now coming to a close. And so there's this very subtle energy that's kind of with me all the time. I'll be engaged in something like this conversation. And then maybe we, we would wrap up and I would maybe go to eat some lunch or something. And I would go, what is this weird feeling? And then I'd remember, I'll remember. It's like, Oh yeah, I'm going through this change. Mm. And uh, it's a subtle energy that's with me. And so I try to be with that. It's the grief process, you know, Um, when this change was first um, implemented a couple of weeks ago, Um, I noticed myself go through all the stages of grief within an hour. And that, that was like five hours. Like I could totally see that there is no way I should be making any decision right now because I was going from shock to denial, to anger, to bargaining, to acceptance. So in one moment, my, I need to do this would be based on shock or anger. And then, 10 minutes later, oh, I need to do this totally different thing based on acceptance. And so I was like, yeah, definitely don't make any decisions right now. I'm totally flying through all these stages. Yeah. You know, and it's normal. 
One thing I wanted to touch on, because these conversations about trauma and spirituality, you know, it's kind of, and, and the way I came into the trauma conversation was kind of like a lot of people around me were saying it didn't exist. You know, it's like that it wasn't a thing. So I guess uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on bypassing. You know, it's kind of like, because that's what it looked like, that stuff to me, you know, and I was having my own direct experience that was saying to me, that's not true. You know, it's kind of like I'm experiencing something here and it's not of my creation. Yes. so, uh, but you can't argue with the non-dual or the other spiritual traditions or, or other things. What they're saying is absolute and it's often true. And it's a pointless conversation if people don't see it for themselves. But it seems like that it's uh, blissful ignorance to sort of to tell yourself this stuff doesn't exist in the body, that trauma isn't a thing. And that uh, if you saw enough about awareness or about the role of thought and perception in experience that you would no longer experience trauma like what what do you see about that i see that as long as it feels real in the moment let's honor it and it will be seen as not real like you know in other words i I agree that it's not real it's not really who you are Mm. but as long as it feels like it is let's honor it and then pretty quickly, it's going to reveal that, oh, yeah, it's not who I am. This, the, So um, it's like that's the, the direct path in a way, right? Direct pointing, direct pointing, just pointing to what's real mm. and denying what's not real. And that might work for some people. I think it does work for people. Mm. And this is just another way of getting to the same spot of realizing, oh, that's not me. That's not who I am. That is not even real. But it's by doing it, by honoring it. Yeah. Do you think, I'm curious, like, do you think some people really don't have trauma? They just have no bodily um, contractions, tensions, or not so much that it bothers them. And they are able to just have an awakening that, gives them a much better life and other people perhaps have been through a lot of um, nervous system overloads for example in young or early life that have a lot more contractions and tensions of the body is that how you see it sure definitely obviously so now you know the thing about it is is that every human being has their whole life of experience Mm. and they would be able to say that on a scale that on this end, this is the most amazing thing I've ever experienced in my entire life. And on this end is the most difficult thing I've ever experienced in my entire life. And mm-hmm. there's everything in between. So that's that's real for everybody. You know, everybody has had the worst thing they've ever experienced in their life. And so, you know, the tendency to minimize it, I've done that with my partner before. The tendency to minimize that because it's not that bad mm. um, doesn't really help either. Because for this individual, this is the worst thing they've ever experienced. And so in their own experience, this is the worst thing. I mean, and, you know, we're all human beings. We're all subject to having programming. We're all subject to coping strategies. I mean, my partner's coping strategy is to make everybody laugh. So he learned that, uh, that if he was being bullied and if he could get everybody to laugh at the bully, well, then he became 
popular and then the bully was kind of shamed and all of that. So, you know, everybody has coping strategies and I really love uh, the coping strategy of making everybody laugh. Um, I release a lot of emotions through laughter due to that, due to my partner having that coping strategy. So I feel like, yeah, obviously, you know, I've talked to clients who have really, really just survived things that are horrible. And I, I will actually sit with a client and cry. I will cry. Uh, sometimes I have to over what they have. I'm thinking of a few over what they have experienced. So obviously there are people that have experienced things that no one else would have, would even come close to, right? But it almost doesn't matter in your own life because if you're having unrequested responses, it's from your trauma. Yeah. It's from, it's your mechanism that's helping you with what you've experienced. So yeah, I'm, I'm not on the path of discounting the programming and saying it's not real and pointing the direct pointing um it seems to me more and and you know the people that come to me are the ones that resonate with what i'm saying where let's honor it let's honor it and it'll it'll mm -hmm. it'll relax and it'll collapse completely and you will find yourself resting in a state of non-dual awareness by doing that yeah I don't think we've covered it. So I'd love just to talk a little bit as well about dialogue. Because I think like with when I did the small group with you, you know, it's kind of like it was really like a, that dialoguing with the body, you know, and kind of seeing that there can be beliefs held in physical tension, right? That's what I saw for myself. Can yes. you so that kind of in a way, Yes. for me really convinced me that the body holds stuff you know it's kind of like because I, I there was things that the mind could not see for me and there was uh in dialoguing with the body in the way that we did it you know i kind of saw that perhaps um a contraction of the chest you know was really saying to me no this is not okay you know it's like because it's unsafe or something like that for example and that was a belief but it was held in a contraction that all I experienced was tightening, you know, like instant tightening, instant tightening. And what it was doing was another safety protection mechanism, but it wasn't of the mind. It wasn't going, no, this is not safe. Stop. It was just tightening. You know, that was yes. it. Can you talk a bit, a little bit before we end about that process of kind of dialoguing with the body and seeing like how much, and I guess you've seen a lot more than me, you know, in like all the people you work with in, how that comes about, that kind of like uh, the beliefs and tension and contraction are, are held, you know, in the body yes. and by dialoguing, you can release that. That's so true. And I mean, in a one hour session, uh, we're, we're pendulating and we're titrating. So from awareness, we're, we're questioning the programming. We start out by questioning the programming gently and then we get an answer and then we, we rest back into awareness and then we do another round. We'll challenge the program. We're getting deeper by challenging it. We'll relax that, come back into awareness. Then we'll come back and we'll literally start confronting it in a way and provoking. Like we're actually provoking 
provoking it. And so you're getting deeper and deeper into the layers of what is holding that in place. Mm. The first layer oftentimes is not enough to, to experience that non-dual. So the deeper you go and now you're provoking it, you're getting deeper and deeper. And then all of a sudden that collapse happens. The client just feels it. You can see it on their face. So yeah, the body is holding the stories and we have to stick with it, you know, um, round after round because it'll keep revealing layers, like you said. So it's a tenseness. So what it, what are you here for? Well, to shut me down, I need to shut down. I can't, whatever it is. And we're like, okay, great. So your job is to shut shut things down. Yes. And so we, we just keep asking and asking by relaxing and then coming back in because why, because what would happen? What would happen? You know, and then it'll just reveal a, a picture from childhood. So we're still with the body asking the contraction, but it's giving the client pictures. Oh, wow. Third grade, you know, this happened. So now we begin to become clearer about, oh, okay, so this contraction here that's happening in the body is connected to this thing that happened in the third grade. Let's look at that, you know? And so we're getting deeper and deeper into what this contraction is trying to help with. Mm -hmm. Clearly, we're getting very clear about what it's trying to help with at that point. Specifics that are, you know... And just to be clear, these things that you find that way, they can't be accessed through normal memory, right? They can't, or they can. I mean, they don't usually show up that way, right? They really don't show up that way. You know, you can have a memory and say, yes, I have this memory, but I didn't realize that it was connected to this sensation. Yeah. And I didn't understand why it was connected to this sensation. And I didn't understand why the sensation, what the sensation has to do with that memory. Now I'm starting to understand it because we're processing and we're, we're dialoguing and we're letting it show pictures. So we can be with a contraction and as we're questioning it, it will show pictures. It will give words. It will start expressing more and more. Yeah, it makes sense what you're saying, because in, in Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Holds the Score, he talks about that strong sensation, uh, strong emotional reaction is uh, attached to stimulus of the senses that passes to the amygdala first, that is then perceived for threat or danger, you know, it's kind of, like, and yes. then cognitive memory comes later in the process right so that's where you would never see that this contraction or so on is related to a certain experience because it's not stored that way right i mean i'll share one you know for people that are watching one example that i have experienced where there was no way that the mind could understand what was happening so i got triggered by an older woman that acts real naive mm. And so I, it took me about two weeks because I would talk to my friends about it and they were like, yeah, yeah, she does act naive, you know, 
they just agreed with me. It's like, oh, it gets so irritating or whatever. But they were like, but I, we're, I'm not as triggered as you are. I'm not sure what's going on with you. Why are you so triggered about it? Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, what does this say about me? Um, am I naive? Do She acts naive. She's not. She's an intelligent individual. She acts naive. Why is that triggering me? So am I, do I act naive? Absolutely not. Do I want to act naive? I got a real strong no from the body, a real strong no, no, do not act naive. So I was like, okay, wow. I know I'm on to something because I'm getting a really big no from the body. So I was like, why not? Why I cannot, don't act naive. Don't be naive. Don't be naive. Why? Let my body tell me why. And then I realized, oh, I was naive when I got date raped when I was 15. Mm. Wow. So totally unconscious of the fact that a programming kicked in automatically for me without me realizing, don't ever be naive again. I didn't even realize it. This was, you know, like many, many years ago. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. And I've, I've dealt, I've done a lot of work around that, obviously, Um, so as soon as I saw that, then as I go and I'm thinking about the woman and I'm seeing the woman and I have never been triggered by her since then. Never, Mm. not one time, like does not bother me that she acts naive, Mm. you know? And so that is the scientific part of this work. When you do the work, everything falls apart and then the trigger never happens again. Mm. I think I need some of that. <laughs> <laughs> I think we, it's a good place to end. And I don't want to end without you kind of talking about what you're doing in case anyone listening is interested to work with you or find out more about your courses and stuff. So do you want to talk about that for a little minute? And sure. Yeah, that? just find me at mindfulintegration.net. And we are offering... Um, one-on-one sessions, session packages, and of course, the small group program that I love Mm -hmm. where I work with four people at a time. And that's all there. Um, I'm also going to be offering psychedelic integration and I'm going to be working with people that want to be a psychedelic integration specialist and work with others. And so I'll be training people to do that kind of work. Mm. I like to train people. We will be uh, creating a platform. And if you're a wellness professional and you would like to have a platform where you can offer your services so that you can just work with your clients instead of having to deal with marketing and admin and tech support and all that, we're going to be offering that for, you know, for people that are already working with others or want to work with others. Yeah. And for anyone who knows me, I've worked with June, so I would highly recommend uh, going on that investigation into yourself. You might find something you didn't know was there for sure. <laughs> cool. Is there anything else, any last words or any anything that you're... Left no, with? thanks. I really appreciate it. Um, I 
you know, I want to, I need to probably start doing some podcasts myself. Maybe I'll have mm -hmm. you as I'll host one and I'll have you yeah. on it. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. I love the conversation. We want to, we want to wake up. We want to be awakened 24 seven. How can we do that? Right. Yeah. How can cool. we do that? Thank you. Thank you.